welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. Genesis chapter 11. Take your Bibles, turn with me there. If you have the Bible app on your phone or tablet, that will work just as well. Welcome everyone this morning. Welcome everyone watching online, wherever you're watching from. We are always so excited that you've taken time out of your morning, wherever you are, to join us here today. Make sure you check in with our online host. We are walking through the story of God this year, and we are five weeks in. And because of that, there are so many of you already within five weeks that are going, listen, I am learning things, I am discovering things, God is renewing things inside of me that I have not experienced, seen, heard, or have happened in a long, long time or possibly ever. And so we want you to know always, you can scan this QR code that's on the screen. There are resources for you. There are Bible reading plans. There are extra resources. There are links to get involved in life groups because our life groups are actually taking what we're learning on Sunday and they're flushing them out during the week in our men's, women's, marriage, college, high school, whatever it is, young, old, all those groups. Because we're trying to learn the story of God. And there is nothing that excites me more than helping you learn the story of God. I mean, it gets me all wired up all week long. As I'm studying weeks in advance, I'm going, oh, I can't wait to share this. Oh, there are things that I want to be able to say. Man, I hope I have enough time to unpack this. And so inevitably, there are times we can't unpack it all in the time given here today. I'm just excited that you're here because you came here for this part, to open up the story of God. And so there are things that I can't dive fully into this morning, but as we've been telling you, we started a podcast called the Post Sunday Podcast. You can can, uh, subscribe to it on on, uh, Spotify. I know it will be available on iTunes later this week, and it is an opportunity where Johnny and I go in after Sunday, and we just take the story and we unpack it more. And so during the week, if you're driving to work or you're jogging or walking your neighborhood or you just want to put it on wherever you are, it's an extra resource to help you learn more about the story. And then you've seen some people carrying the little binders around. We have those for sale because every few, uh, every quarter or every eight weeks or whatever, you'll get brand new inserts to put in there so that at the end of the year, you have a full journal of walking the story of God with us. And so if you don't have that, they're available in the atrium. Uh, You just literally are paying the cost of what it costs to print them and get them all ready for a whole year's worth of content with us. With all that said, Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment in prayer? And if you're watching online, I want you to do exactly the same. And here's all I want you to do. I want you to take what we just sang, and I want you to make it your prayer. Tear down the walls of all my traditions. Break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. Father, today, may we not just sing words when we gather. May they be the anthem of our heart. Some of us have never, ever grown up in church. Many of us have. And sometimes we don't realize we are clinging to traditions instead of your way. Many of us come from different backgrounds and different church backgrounds, and so we clung to our religion 
and not our relationship with you. To that we say, your way is better. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, if you've grown up in church, you're familiar with this story. If you haven't, this is probably one of those stories where you're going, I know nothing about this story at all. And if you grew up knowing the story, you have a picture in your head, kind of like the picture they're going to put on the screen. This is what you think about, go ahead and put that picture up, of the Tower of Babel. You got that picture for me? Nope. That's not it. No? That's it. There we go. Okay? If you know the story, this is what's in your head and in your imagination. That there's this giant tower up through the clouds, reaching its way all the way up into what we can imagine as in the heavens. This morning, I want to tell you that that's not very likely what the story was trying to tell you. And it's not the picture I hope you walk away with. When it comes to the Bible, when we open it, we have said how you approach it matters because how you approach it will dictate the pictures you put in your head and where your imagination will take you. When you come to the Bible and you search for it, what you search for matters because it will dictate what you learn, what you hear, and what you begin to understand. But most importantly, when we come to the Bible, what is revealed to you by God is what matters above all else, because that is what will change you and transform you. And so when we enter into the story of Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel, we have to back up for just a moment. Just for a moment, we have to back up because there's actually a character in this story that most of you do not know about. Because if you just read the first few verses of Genesis 11, you read this account, you read this story, and you move on. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 10, there's something I want to point out to you. Now, if you were to read Genesis chapter 10 on your own, if you're reading through the Bible, this is one of those chapters where you come to, and it's a bunch of names, and as you're reading the names, you get really bored, and you try to get through really fast. That's just inevitably how we do it when we open up the Word of God. What we don't know is that the writers are trying to tell us something even within that. Most importantly, God is. There's a reason he told Moses to write these things down, all of it, and he wanted to know you to know some of these people. So in Genesis chapter 10, verse 6, it's talking about the sons of Noah, who we talked about last week. One of them being Ham, great name for your son. So is Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan right? And so you go, well, why do I need to know these? Because it's funny because these are names that become people groups that become nations you will read about within the story of God. And so what you begin to see is that God through the story of Noah is beginning to flush out and and create nations and people groups. There are over 70 different names that become 70 different people groups that eventually become nations in Genesis chapter 10. But there's one name. There's one name that all of a sudden it pauses on and it gives you a bunch of kind of description about this person. In Genesis chapter 11, uh, 10 verse 8, this is what it says. Cush, who's the grandson of Noah, fathered Nimrod. And he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. 
He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now you read that and you're going, all right, this guy's awesome. This is a really cool guy. He's a mighty hunter. He's a mighty man. Must mean he's tall and big and strong and all this stuff. And then it says this. The beginning of his kingdom was what? Babel. And then it gives you a whole bunch of other kingdoms. But here's the one I want you to pay attention to. Because from that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. Now, we're not there yet. But when we get there, the story of Jonah, and we learn about Nineveh and the people there, Nimrod is the father of Babel and Nineveh. And if you don't know, you will learn that those are not places that are ever associated with God. So how can he be a mighty man, a mighty warrior? All these questions begin to conjure up about who is this guy named Nimrod? I mean, Honestly, if we were to think about the name Nimrod, I would want you to know that somewhere around the 1700s, this became, you know, uh, uh, more in our vernacular as human beings. But it wasn't until 1980-ish that it became famous. And you want to know how it became famous within our culture? Now, not this culture, because this culture is probably saying the young one, I've never, ever used the word Nimrod. But the older culture has, Right? And you know how it became the most famous within our culture and society? By this little fluffy cute bunny with ears who used to fight against this old grumpy hunter, Bugs Bunny. And he would call Elmer Fudd a Nimrod. And because the generation grew up watching Bugs Bunny, we begin to associate Nimrod with being dumb, foolish. This is not a name that you would want to name your child. Even though some of you men are like, man, mighty hunter. Honey, what do you think, Nimrod? That might be good. Let's think about that and pray about that, okay? As a matter of fact, when you begin to scale back and pull back the name of Nimrod in the, in the early Hebrew language, his name actually means this, to rebel. Or, better yet, we will rebel. And this phrase, mighty hunter, wasn't the hunter that you're thinking about that's out with his bow and arrow and, and, and he's hunting for game or wild game, whatever it is. It actually was a picture of hunter of souls. And sometimes the language within there could mean that he's a mighty hunter to the face or in the face of the Lord. Many believe Nimrod used his power and his position to pull people away from God to enter into the story that we're going to unfold this morning. Sometimes we have to pay attention to the characters to understand what's taking place within the story. And why is that interesting? The reason it's interesting is that Noah is the, the great-grandfather of Nimrod. Noah's son, Ham, obviously is the grandfather of Nimrod. If you look inside of the scriptures, what you will find out is that Nimrod was probably alive during his time of his grandfather, Noah's son, and possibly during the time of Noah himself. You say, why do I need to know that? What is important about that? What is, what is, that, what is it in this story, in this moment, that I need to understand is this. Man will always do what man wants to do. 
if, if Nimrod is alive during the, the time of his grandfather and possibly his great-grandfather, guess what? He knows the story of the flood. And he knows what God did because of disobedience and sin. And yet what it is a reminder of that some of us have a hard time with is that he doesn't have an excuse to make the decisions he's making because he's not ignorant of them. He's heard them. And he knows them. And the reality is hard for us because what it tells us is that we cannot make every decision for our children and grandchildren. Now, that's not an excuse to not talk with them about God. That's not an excuse to not bring them to church. I'm not talking about your 13-year-old. I'm talking about when they're able to make choices on their own. Okay? Some of you have heard this phrase, or, or, or maybe you need to hear this phrase. While your kids are in your house, you get to talk with them about God. But when your kids leave your house, guess what? You get to talk with God about your kids. That's how life goes. And so while they're there, you better be talking with them about God every opportunity you got. Because once they're gone, you don't get to talk to them as much about him. You've got to start talking to God about them. And the hard thing is, is that we can't make decisions and choices for them. That's the hard part when it comes to understanding the story. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And the story, as it opens up, it wants you to know that everybody has come together, and everybody is speaking the exact same language. This part's important to the story, because as you look at them, you need to know that for some reason, they were unified around one purpose, one mission, and one goal. And so in verse... Chapter 3, it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. As you begin to kind of peel back these stories, if you know anything about the story of God, you will begin to see little pictures, little light bulbs will go off that if they've migrated together, it's showing us something because when Noah landed, God said, I want you to go and fill the earth. Something's already wrong in the story. If you're, if you're looking into the story and you're beginning to see things, you're going, listen, they begin to make bricks and, and they begin to build with them. And, and, and the next time I find out and read the story about bricks and building with them, it's the story of Moses and Israel and, and Egypt. And so building bricks and building things within the story and context isn't actually turning out to be a good thing. It's actually showing that power and oppression and slavery and all these things are being integrated into the story. And it's a picture that the people that are supposed to be filling the earth are not stewarding the earth the way God instructed in Genesis 1 and 2. Verse 4, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now we get to the root of the story. They all come together and they say, this is why we're here and this is what we're doing. We are coming together to make a, a name for ourselves. And a name for ourselves because we don't want to be dispersed all over the earth. We've got different plans. We've got a different objective. We've got a different idea. And this is where the story takes its turn. 
their first issue, let's build ourselves a city. Now, we're only 11 chapters into the story of God and in the scope of the Bible, and we learn in Genesis 1 and 2 that God has created everything and he gives it to us. And so they're already selfishly going, God, I know you create, and I know that you build, and I know that you give, but I'm going to build what I want. This is like the, the root of our selfishness. No matter what is given to us, we are never content. We always want something different, and we want to do it our way. And so they're putting all their time and their effort into this. And then the second thing is this. They want to make a name for themselves. I don't know about you, but that's just the eye-popping problem of the whole story that we're going to dive into here this morning. Josephus, who is a uh, historic writer um, during and a little bit before the time of Jesus, who wrote the Jewish Antiquities, which is historic books that anyone would acknowledge. He said this about this story. He said, God wished for the people to spread out, to avoid creating conflict over land. But listen to this. This was the problem. But the people believed God's advice was not genuine. How many times? Do we open the story of God and God says, this is the way I want you to go. This is what I've come to offer you. And you walk out the doors of the church and you go, I don't think God's way is the best way for me. I don't know if his advice for me is really genuine. And he really cares about me and what I'm going through. Since God had proven to be their enemy by bringing the flood. And so what they're doing is they're backing up and here's Nimrod leading the way and he's going, listen, I know the story and it's that thing of, God, why would you do that? How could you do that? Why would you allow that to happen? And because you did that, you're now my enemy. You're not my creator. And often in our life, when hardships come, we do the exact same thing. And we ignore God's mercy. And sometimes we ignore what got us to those consequences. When we ignore the mercy of God, what we do is we don't see things like in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sin and God removes them from the garden. It says that they were naked and full of shame. It says God clothed them. It's a picture of his mercy that he would cover their shame even though they were the ones that disobeyed God. In the story of Cain, when God removes him from his presence and he's left wandering into the land of Nod, he says, God, wait a second, wherever I go, people want to kill me. And he says that God marks him so that no one will do that. God's mercy shown again. When God says the whole world is wicked, I can just wipe out creation because sin has entered into it. He finds Noah, puts him in an ark safely, and he regenerates his creation, his mercy. And yet here is the great-grandson of Noah rejecting God's mercy, making God the enemy, building a city and a tower to make a name for themselves. And in verse 5, it says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Why is that important? Because it tells us that God investigates man always. God came down with Adam and Eve to walk in the garden, found out what they had done. God came down and talked with Cain and said, listen, I see the anger, Lord, over it. Don't step into it. Don't go further with it. Sin is crouching at your door. God came down and saw the wickedness of the world at Noah, and it says God came down to see the city. God cares about you. We are watching the unfolding of sin within creation over these last chapters in the story. It's not fun. 
You're like, where's the good stuff that really motivates me and inspires me when I leave this place? And yet for some reason, God said, listen, when you unfold my story at the beginning of it, I want you to see all of that I did. And as you walk through it, I want you to see all that man wants to do. And I want you to think about your own heart and your own actions and your own mind. And I want you to ask yourself, if you were in this place, where would you be? But God is watching, he's listening, he's observing. He cares about every choice you make, what you are doing, where you are going. All of it matters to God. That's why he gives us good things. That's why he has given us his word. Gives you his story to know who he is, what he has to offer. It's why he gifts those who put their faith and trust in him, his spirit, so that that he can convict you and guide you and comfort you and carry you wherever you need to go. This is the goodness of God he offers. And yet still many of us will reject it. We will walk away from it. And we will be just like these people. We will try to build our own tower and our own name for ourselves. Verse 6, and the Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they have all one language. And this is the only the beginning of what they will do. When, when it shows the power when people come together. We say here all the time, all together we can do together what none of us can do alone. That can be for the good of God or that can be to the detriment of our faith. He continues, he says, and nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. He says, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come down and I'm going I'm to confuse them this way. He could have come down with a flood again, couldn't he? But he promised he would never do that again. And God keeps his promise. So he says, okay, instead, since they're unified, I'm going to break that up and I'm going to confuse them. When I begin to read the story and I begin to look at it and I begin to peel it back, inevitably, God begins to work in my own life, my own issues, my own problems. And I would say that when we open up the story of the Tower of Babel, we can very easily see the cultural problems that we're all facing right now. And the first cultural problem is this. We are prone to believe we need a tower. Every single one of us, because of the culture we're in, we are prone to believe we need a tower. The word Babel means gate of God. And so they were trying to build a tower or in essence something that would open up the gate to God so that they could be high and mighty like him. And it's the same problem that we saw in Genesis chapter 3. It's what the serpent tempted Eve with. Oh, if you eat of this, you will become like him. See, really, the reason we want to know everything about God and we want God to answer every question that we have is because we really want to put ourselves in place of him. Because if he answered every question you ever had, if he gave you an answer for everything within his word, because some of it is just full of mystery, you would eventually say, I don't need God. I got the answers for everything that I need and I'm going through. But we are prone to believe we need a tower. You say, how do you know, Tim? And I know it because of this. The culture dictates more of our behavior. The culture dictates way more of our behavior and beliefs than many of us will admit or become aware of and change. This is the world we currently live in. A world that loves to build towers 
for ourselves and is dictated by the culture. It affects our behavior and it affects our beliefs. You say, how do you know this? Because everything around us is speaking a message to you. There is nothing, movies, media, magazines, social media, streaming, music, whatever it is, that in, not, that in some way, shape, or form is trying to deliver a message to you. And I will tell you this, the message of the world is always delivering an anti-God message to us. That does not mean bubble wrap yourself and hide from the world. doesn't mean that. But what it means is recognizing and becoming aware that the culture is dictating more of your behavior and beliefs than many of you want to admit, face, or let change. If you were to take your normal week, you've heard this before, 168 hours in a week, okay? This is how study has shown your week currently on average. Some of you always will look at this and go, that's not me. That's just not me. I'm perfect. I don't do any of that. My life is different. Whatever, okay? 168 hours. This is how the average person spends their 168 hours in a week. You spend a third of it sleeping, okay? Now, there are those of you that go, that's not me, is exactly right, because you only sleep like three hours a week. Okay? I mean, three hours a night, all right? You go to bed at two, you wake up at six, and you're like, I'm dying. I can barely stay awake right now while you're preaching. Can we move on, okay? <laughs> you spend a portion of your week eating, somewhere around seven hours a week time. You go, well, that's, that's like only an hour a day. That's because you eat fast. And you scarf your food down and you move on. How many times do you actually sit down for long meals with your family? They say the average person spends 13 hours a day in front of technology. That can be music, that can be streaming, that can be your tablet, your phone, texting, calling, watching, whatever it is. But in some way, shape, or form, throughout the day, you are in front of technology for 13 hours a day. That is 54% of your week. Yet, driving, recreation, hobbies, all that, leave you about 14 hours within your week, about 8% of your pie. And this is how I know that the culture dictates your behavior and your thinking and your belief system because of this. If this is how we spend most of our week, how will we ever, ever fight against that? Because here's the reality. Only 22% of Christians attend church Every single week. And only 30% say that they pray every single week. And only 35% say they open the Bible every single week. If you spend close to 13 hours a day in front of technology, feeding you its messages and all of its things and everything it wants you to see, hear, listen, do, act, respond, become like. There is no way that 13 hours a day, all week long, and then you come in here maybe once, maybe twice, whatever, for one hour a week, you think you're going to be able to spiritually fight that battle. It is already won because it's got your time. We are prone to build our own towers. The second problem is this. We are prone to believe the myth of success comes apart from God. That we can be successful apart from God. This is 
what we would say, no, you know what, if you were to ask me face to face, I would tell you there's nothing that I can do without God. But then when we leave this space all week long, we spend our life and our endeavors searching, seeking, do whatever it can to find happiness and our next ambition because we believe that success is somewhere out there instead of it belongs to him and comes from him. And so we build our own towers all the time. We build our towers of careers because we're chasing money and we're chasing status and we're chasing a job title and we will do whatever it takes to get ourselves to the top of that tower. And there are some of us that we are, we are chasing the tower of accumulation and it is stuff. I need a new car. I need a bigger car. I need another house. I need whatever it is, whatever I've seen on Amazon, Pinterest, whatever I scroll through on a real TikTok. I mean, listen, I'm watching these things and people are saying, uh, TikTok made me buy it. <laughs> it's a real thing. It's like a hashtag. I was scrolling on TikTok and someone else had it and talked about it, it's their fault they made me buy it. We live in a generation, and this is probably what separates a lot of people here today because there's the old generation. It's like, I don't even know how to text in a phone. I'm still trying to figure out, do I use my thumbs or fingers? And like, how do you hold this thing? And then there's a whole generation behind us that are like, hey, grandma, give me the phone. I got this. This is how you do it, you know? This is what my mom does with, with my daughter, you know, and she's like, she showed me all this new stuff. <laughs> you live in a world of building a tower of getting as many followers and people to recognize you as possible. Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever it is. It's always about how many likes, how many followers how, much, how viral can I go? What's my brand? What's my avatar? It's, it's about your status. I mean, you can't even sit in a meal with people right in front of you without doing this. <laughs> hey, who are you doing that to? Oh, so-and-so, where are they at? Oh, they're up in Boston right now. But there's someone literally three feet from you. Yeah, I know. But I just want them to see where I'm at. This is the culture. And the culture is saying... Build a tower for your name so that you can be recognized, so that you can get a bunch of followers, so that a bunch of people will know who you are and they will recognize you and they will come to you for all of their advice, their answers, whatever it is, your specialties. Just build your tower of followers so that you can become known. Sounds like something we're reading in the story. So that you can make a name for yourself. Our world is full of a world right now fighting for a tower of identity. There's over 80 different identities right now that people can claim. Why? Because there are people stepping back going, you can't tell me who I can be. Nobody can. I can be whoever I want to be. And do whatever I want to do. Because the world told you that. But God's word didn't. God's word said at the very beginning that he created male and female in the image of God to bear the image of God. Amen. So either God messed up or you have begun to believe the message of the world. It really boils down to that. It's funny that I told you, when you open the word of God, all of a sudden you realize, 
oh my gosh, I've got a lot to think about and a lot of decisions to make. Because it's either the story of God or it's the story you want to write for yourself. But it cannot be both. It cannot merge. God sits on the throne, you don't. Or if you sit on the throne, you haven't allowed him to. This is not only the story of the Tower of Babel, this is the story of humanity as we know it. We chase perilous pursuits. And when God doesn't give us what we want, we blame God as Nimrod did for the flood and we don't receive his goodness because of it. And we live in a world that is detrimental to our psychological being and the enemy knows this. And we cannot stand inside of this place once a week and sing, Lord, I love you. Lord, I exalt you. I exalt your name. But as soon as I walk out of this place or I stop watching online, I'm going to exalt my name the rest of the week. And my identity and my influence and my following and my career and my status and my position and my prominence. Because then we read later in scripture, God says, I don't need your worship and I don't need your sacrifices because I know it's in your heart. The story of the, St- the Tower of Babel begins to ask for a moment, is it your name or is it God's name? Whose name belongs on your life? I, I, I love sports and I love, I, I'm not a Penn State fan, but I love the history of Penn State football. Since the program began, they've had no, no logo on a helmet, no names on the back. I think for maybe four years they did it and then they went back to their, 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 their history. And they said, because we want every player who shows up on our team to know you're not playing for yourself, you're playing for and representing this team. So no logos, no names, because it's not about you. Listen, I am no different than you. Every time I stand up here and I say this, it's not about you, you're like, who is this guy? Why does he always tell me that? It's not about me. It's all about him. But let me tell you transparently, I'm having to remind myself when I tell you that. God, I say that to keep myself in check. Because if not, my human flesh would say, it's all about me, it's all about you. Oh yeah, we love him. And that's not how it goes. That's why a few years ago I decided we'll be a church of pastors, not a church with a pastor. I've had people come up and go, why do you let so many people preach in your pulpit? First of all, we don't have a pulpit. That's a big wooden box thing you stand behind. And I couldn't stay still long enough behind one of those. (laughs) But I did that to continue to allow you to know this church is not about me. It's not about Chad. It's not about PJ. It's not about Johnny. It's not about Will. It's not about Steve. It's about God. And we're all just instruments and voices for him. It's constantly reminding ourselves that life would be different if it was about his name, not our name. I I did a wedding, and I know I'm closing up here. And I was talking with people, and I I, I quoted Billy Graham. I said, do you know Billy Graham? They said, no. You've never heard of Billy Graham? No, I've never heard of Billy Graham. In my mind, because I grew up in church land, so some of you don't know who he is right now. I'm going, how do you not know Billy Graham? The other day, my favorite basketball player, 
favorite basketball player is Kobe Bryant. My son comes to me and he goes, hey, you know Kobe Bryant died two years ago on this day. And like as, as, as in college and as a young adult, oh man, everything, everything was about watching the Lakers and Kobe Bryant. Two, three years later, I don't remember when he died. Why? Because our names don't last. Your name will not last. His name lasts forever. My, I'm here today because my grandfather decided I will bear the name of Jesus. None of you will know who Waldo Grandstaff is. That's a terrible name anyways. <laughs> but whatever is happening spiritually in your life through this church is a ripple effect of a grandfather who said, I will bear the name of Jesus. I will bear the name of Jesus. And that is more important for my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren than them to ever know who I am. At some point, we have to, to get to the point where we kneel down and we say, I exalt you. I am humble before you. I kneel before you and surrender. I have been trying to build my tower. I've been trying to build my name. I've been trying to make myself famous. And I exist, Genesis 1, to bear your name and make you famous. And we've gotten it wrong. And we're getting sucked into the message of the world. And so here's what I want you to do. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. The story tells us that the Lord dispersed them all over the earth. Which really shows us what's wrong with the story. Because the story continues to show disobedience. It wasn't just that they were building a tower for their name. It was that when God spoke in Genesis 1, he said, here's the first commandment in all the scripture. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. When Noah and the ark landed, the very first words God spoke to Noah in Genesis chapter 9, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And they said, "Uh uh-uh, your way is not better than our way. We're going to unite in one place on earth. And so God said, okay, I will still do what I intend to do. I'll confuse your language, which will make you spread out, and I'll force you to fill the earth. I don't want to be forced by the hand of God to do anything. I want a heart that willingly surrenders it to him. And so what I want to do is I just want the the worship team to come. I want to open up the altar. And I want to invite some of you today four weeks of learning about disobedience and sin for some of us to say yeah I'm sucked into some of that and I need to repent and I need to surrender maybe you need to come kneel because I'm going to tell you something we're not going to stand in the face of God we're going to fall before the face of God and you need to tell God right now I'm sorry I have begun to build a tower for my name and my greatness And I have forgotten the truth that I exist for your name and to make you famous. And today, that changes. Today, I build my life upon your story, not my story. Today, I surrender all my ambitions for your plan and your purpose. Today, I give up my name If no one ever knows me, 1 Peter chapter 3, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up in due time. 
And God, I give myself to that today. Father, may you do that in our hearts. May you do that in our lives. May you change us today and forever. In your name I pray, amen. I'm gonna-